We're joined today by Corey Moore. Corey played college football at Virginia Tech University, where he was a two-time first-team All-American and winner of the 1999 Lombardi and Nagurski Awards as the nation's top linebacker and defensive player of the year. He, along with quarterback Michael Vick and head coach Frank Beamer, Beamer led the Hokies to the 2000 National Championship game. He is a 2022 College Football Hall of Fame nominee. Corey, welcome. You ready to get uncomfortable, man? Let's get it. So I appreciate your time. Obviously, 2000 was a long time ago. I mean, we're feeling old, right? But what I wanted to do was kind of give people an understanding of the why. So can you explain, because we want to talk about how granting aid works, how why the transfer portal is necessary, how NIL has helped student athletes. So can you talk about how granting aid works? We know that's renewed annually and gives opportunities for students not to transfer in the past. So talk about how it was when you were in school, how that aid worked, and then how transferability did or did not work for student-athletes. Well, first of all, Adam, thanks for having me on and, and having this discussion with me. You know, times have changed with NCAA rules since, since I played. So there's always been this notion that student-athletes, particularly football players or basketball players, got everything paid for. Well, it wasn't until recent when NCAA kind of changed to cover the full cost of attendance. Because back when I played, we had a grant and aid, basically scholarship, that wasn't guaranteed to four years. It had to be renewed. And so if coaching staff, coaches deemed that a player wasn't meeting the expectation, they didn't necessarily have to re renew the scholarship. Um, you also have players who, if they weren't eligible for or had family support, um, were eligible to receive, you know, Pell Grants and other type of aids, you know, all they got was, you know, their books, tuition, housing, and some some meals taken care of. So it wasn't as, as luxurious as, as people uh, like to think that, you know, student athletes get everything paid for. It wasn't like that. Even with the change in NCAA allowing the cost of attendance, it's it helps somewhat. I think what's really aided um, student athletes is the uh, name, image, and likeness that we saw go in effect uh, last year. And that um, has enabled uh, student athletes to uh, make money. And I think that's been great. Um, it's, it's really been great for what people thought would just be, you know, football and basketball players. Um, it's been great for female student athletes as well uh, now to be able to monetize, you know, their their name, image, and likeness as well. And I'm, I'm happy for that because it's always been big time college football, basketball has kind of funded those other sports or whatnot. It, you know, it's looked at those other sports were kind of irrelevant. That's that's not the case. Uh, and you know me, Adam, I'm a huge, huge uh, college sports enthusiast. So I support all college sports and I'm a huge, huge, huge supporter of women's sports, particularly women's basketball, softball, gymnastics, and all of that. I'll put it out there. I'm not, not a big fan of the transfer portal, particularly as it is now, but I understand that it is a necessary evil. So back when I played, if players transferred to another Power 5 school, they basically had to sit out a year and pay for that year and hoping that they earned a scholarship, okay? Now it's like free agency. You get a player who commits to a, a program, stays there, isn't happy, they can enter the name of the transfer portal and becomes like 
who can snatch him up the fastest. And you see that happening. My my only issue with that is because I'm old school. Um, I've always I just believe that if you commit to a program, you commit to a coach and a coaching staff. You know, if things don't go your way immediately, work your butt off. You committed to that school, work your butt off. But I will say this: what I what I didn't like in the past when I played, when coaches left to you know seek other bigger opportunities, get more financial gain for themselves. A lot of times, players were stuck at that institution and couldn't transfer. Like I said, the only reason they could they would be allowed to transfer. They just have to sit out a year. So I think that's a plus with the current transfer portal. But I, I just think that it's just creating the free agency on, on the college level and bidding wars among other programs or whatnot. Unpacking everything you said, which is really good. So again, to reiterate for the audience who may not understand athletics or higher ed or granting aid or cost of attendance. So there was a point when student athletes, you'd get a scholarship. Scholarships are last dollar. So student athletes still have to fill out the FAFSA, the free application for federal student aid. Any free money, Pell Grants, those kind of things that the student athlete receives from the Fed or state government or institutional scholarships, like in your case, I'm a good student, right? Athletics comes in and pays for the rest. So whatever is remaining, athletics will come in for that year and cover your tuition and fees and room board books, right? And scholarships can be sliced into pieces. So you, Corey could say, I'm getting a full ride to Virginia Tech. Yeah, the athletic department isn't giving 100% of that scholarship if Corey has a Pell Grant or he has a state grant or whatever it might be, a scholarship, right? And so what, what you're talking about is prior to the point where they paid estimated cost of attendance, it was just tuition, fees, room and board. And so, but when you look at the model that the Department of Education runs, they throw in housing expenses, they throw in gas, because the cost of being a full-time student is more than just tuition, fees, room and board. And so when they're calculating how much aid a student gets, it includes all those living expenses, life expenses from medical care to transportation to uh, healthcare products to all these things. And so the cost of attending an institution is often significantly higher than just the tuition fees room and board. And so what Corey, you're outlining is when people come in, initially it was, okay, we're just gonna cover and that's it. And so you had no spending money and you and I went to school and were athletes in the day when student athletes couldn't even work. So if you come from an impoverished family, how do you go home? How do you get a haircut? How do you get deodorant? How do you, any of the things that a student needs above and beyond, oh, it's essentially, it was three hots in a cot. That was all you would get. And the opportunity to leave is the other thing you're talking about, which is important. So. A student athlete scholarship is renewable every year. If the student athlete decided before the transfer rules put into effect that they were going to leave the school, they had to sit out a year unless they moved down a level. So they went from Virginia Tech to, I don't know. Um, University of Richmond. You, you, Richmond, 
right? Or a division two, division three, or uh, FCS school. Then you would have to sit out a year. Even more, the coach who you had at your current institution had to release you. You couldn't leave without the coach saying you can go, right? So the coaches were controlling playing time. They were controlling the money. They were controlling if you left and if you sat out and they were controlling all of it. So the ability to transfer directly and play right away was the first step in the transfer process. And then the transfer portal came in and made it an online database, essentially like you're saying. Talk about how you were recruited because you went to Virginia Tech specifically for the coaches there. Because I think that's important because if Coach Beamer's staff was, a, Coach Beamer was the man. I mean, he still is the man. Okay, so if Coach Beamer and his staff, he had opportunities to go, not that Virginia Tech is small time, but he had opportunities to go to more lucrative programs. If he would have left with his staff, you couldn't have left with him, even though he was your guy. Talk about that a little bit. Uh, definitely. And um, so I was very, very fortunate to have an opportunity to play for Coach Beamer and even attend Virginia Tech. I was uh, lightly recruited. Coming out of high school, um, played at a small town outside of Memphis, Tennessee. Had a lot of good talent on the team, and that afforded me the opportunity to be noticed um, by the scouts that came in and recruited many of my teammates. You know, I, I didn't necessarily um, dream of playing, you know, big-time college football. My goal was to attend HBCU, and I had a full academic scholarship to attend Morehouse, which was my dream school. Um, I also had the opportunity to uh, go play football at Tennessee State. It just so happened that my senior year, more and more uh, college scouts kind of took notice uh, whatnot. I also grew a little bit too in watching, you know, film of my teammates. They also noticed me. And so that afforded me the opportunity. Coach Wiles, who recruited me to Virginia Tech and, you know, Coach Beamer had some really lean years uh, uh, when he took over Virginia Tech because, you know, the program had been hit by sanctions because of some illegal activities by the previous coach and coaching staff. So he came into a really bad situation and uh, he stuck it out His his coaching staff, most majority of them stayed with him and kept some consistency going into season uh, six at Virginia tech coach Beamer team was two, eight and one. And we all know into today's game of college football, most coaches wouldn't get six years, wouldn't even get two years. Um, with a, a record like that. So there was a athletic director at the time there, Dave Brain, who I, I credited with um, seeing Coach Beamer's vision and believing in him and gave him uh, another season. And the next season started in 93 is when Beamer got Beamer and his staff got things turned around. They went nine and three, went to a bowl game and uh, beat uh, Indiana in a bowl game. And that started a streak of 20 plus bowl games for us. And also, really established uh, a dominance um, in, our, in our program. So Coach Wiles has successfully uh, recruited some players from my high school to Murray State. Um, by the time I became a senior, he had uh, went and joined Coach Beamer's staff or whatnot, and he remembered me while he was recruiting some of those players and, and reached out. And, um, you know, I had some other opportunities. But for me, it was just something – special about um, Virginia Tech, Coach Beamer, and the program. And when I visited there, I, I knew that it was the 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 best spot for me. And uh, I tell people all the time that 
it's probably one of the best decisions that I made because it has afforded me um, so many opportunities that I've, I've had in life. And I credit Coach Beamer and more specifically Coach Wiles for believing in me because there were, you know, other programs that just thought that I was too small, which didn't matter to me because, like I said, I had a vision and a plan for what I wanted to do with my life. And so just having an opportunity to play there was, was big time for me. And there were times, there were opportunities for Coach Beamer to go other places. And, you know, honestly, if that had happened, I probably would have transferred back to, I would probably would have transferred to, you know, Tennessee State and just finished out my career or something like that. Because I'm a huge, huge supporter of HBCUs. You know, my family's a huge supporter of Tennessee State, Lane College or whatnot. So, but, you know, those those schools and other HBCUs, HBCUs matter to me. Beamer was very, very loyal to Virginia Tech, even to when he retired and even to this day, I mean, that's his alma mater, that's our alma mater, and he's very loyal to that program. But I, I always hated when, you know, players would, would, when coaches had the opportunity to switch programs, um, you know, and, you know, for more financial gain, but then players were stuck, stuck there, couldn't leave. And that's one of the pluses that I like about today's transfer portal because it gives um, players an opportunity to, you know, transfer schools and not have to sit out. And like I said previously, not have to worry about not just sitting out, but somehow funding that 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 year they sit out and hopefully um, gain a scholarship because not everybody is privileged enough to have a family that can support them and and pay that year yeah. when they sit out um, or whatnot. And I think part of what you're saying, you know, we think back to what happened at the University of Missouri, where the football team, because they there was a young brother, graduate student who was on a hunger strike because of police brutality, criminal justice brutality, and the football team refused to play. All of a sudden, people start paying attention. Right. Missouri, right? They refused to play. Now, this is before Transfer Portal and NIL. That's the thing people are worried about because now money is power. Yeah. At some point, a group of athletes are going to say, of course, and it's going to be led by women, just like the WNBA is more activist than the NBA. Somebody's going to say, if we don't start having coaches and ADs that look like me, I'm not going to play. Right. You're not just going to have the fans that are upset. You're going to have the businesses that have signed the NIL deal with that athlete that say, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, whoa. Good. We just paid them how much money so that they can be on the softball field or they can be in the gym or on the football field or on the track. We just paid them how much. And now I'm not going to see them. We're not going to see them perform and we're not going to sell our product. And so then the pressure starts coming, not just from a fan base that says, I want to see Missouri play on Saturday. But it comes from advertisers and boosters who are saying, we have already invested in those individuals. And if they aren't playing, we don't get our return on investment. So I, there is so much opportunity now because we all know money is power. Absolutely. And if student athletes now, and like I said, hand to God, it'll be women who say, you know what? We are not seeing diversity in our ranks. We have power, we have authority. And you know what? We're we're not going to play in the college softball World Series until we see X, Y, and Z. And all of a sudden, Ophos, the shoe company, and Crocs will be calling. And you know, I mean, they will be. It 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 will be exactly what happened with Roger Goodell, who got who blackballed Colin Kaepernick for exercising the rights under the First Amendment. And then a year and a half later, we got videos of him saying Black Lives Matter because it was the advertisers that mattered. Right. 
It had nothing to do with the fans or the people. It had to do with the advertisers. One of the pieces that I wanted to, to spend some time on is NCAA compliance. So if people don't know NCAA compliance, they have whole compliance offices because it is that confusing, right? It is, it's just, stuff doesn't make sense. If you're a student athlete, my daughter, their conference cha championships, indoor and outdoor track was sponsored by American Eagle Outfitters. And so it was in New York for indoor and then outdoor, I don't know, somewhere. And they would give you this package of stuff, this whole box of American Eagle stuff that had the Big East logo on it back then. And so you have three, four sweatshirts and three because you were indoor and outdoor. So again, all y'all listening, all the community, remember student athletes cannot work. They cannot get above estimated cost of attendance. So they have no money. So you need a ride to the airport. You need somebody to cut your hair. You, hey, I need an airline ticket to go home because my uh, my girlfriend is having a baby or my mom is sick. You can't afford an airline ticket. Nobody in your family has a credit card. You have a friend, a roommate, a somebody who says, hey, Corey, how about, yeah, we'll do it. I'll buy you the airline ticket. But, you know, that championship ring that you have, that hoodie that you have, those 50 pairs of shoes that you have in your trunk, that are worth absolutely nothing if you can't monetize them. Why don't you give me two pairs of shoes? We are the same size and I'll buy you the airline ticket. If a student athlete does that, that is a violation of NCA rules and they won't be eligible. That is so contrary to the barter system. Right. It is America, right? I mean, people trade all the time. I mean, you can't, Corey, you're from West Tennessee. You knew the places you could go and get a hookup. Right. Hey, I know this person here. Go go see him. He'll give you the employee discount on tires. Right. Yeah. Those are the kind of thing. But if you do that as a student athlete, now you can take your Nike gear, you can take your championship rings, you can take all those things and throw them in a dumpster or set them on fire. But you can't take those and trade those with somebody to get something you need to literally survive. So talk a little bit about how that to me, that's a little plantation feeling, bro. So talk about that a little bit. A absolutely. And to me, it's all about, you know, controlling the student athletes. It, it makes no sense to me. Just hearing you, you know, talk about that, it makes me think about um, Jim Trussell and Ohio State and how that kind of cost him his job when, you know, some of his players kind of bartered some of their stuff for tattoos or whatnot. To me, that was just the most ridiculous thing um, ever. And it shouldn't have cost him his job. You know, student athletes, and particularly during that time, I believe uh, Terrell Pryor was one of the main culprits of that, uh, of whatnot. And I can't remember the other guys involved with that, but that should not have cost those players any athletic uh, eligibility, in my opinion, and definitely shouldn't have cost the head coach, you know, Coach Trestle, his his job. To think that you know, still in 2022, that student athletes, their own personal belongings, you can't can't sell that to to make money the NCAA should have long got rid of that that rule uh it's ridiculous um, because you just think about um I mean even to this day I have you know Virginia Tech fans reach out to me and say hey I've got this photo of you can you mind signing it and I, you know I'll give you this and that and you know I don't charge for my autograph because I just think it's to me it's just you know it's just an autograph it's you know stupid to me if they go sell it and make some money oh oh well it doesn't bother me 
and and that happened a lot when I was a in a student athlete at Virginia Tech and you know we had compliance people we had a director of football operations who would tell us don't do that uh, particularly me and Vic and in particular because those people were going to go sell those autographs or uh, you know we signed footballs we signed photos and whatnot we signed jerseys and sure enough those people would post it online and you know sell it you know being you know young at that back in that time you know I didn't I didn't care uh, whatnot but now knowing what I know you know, I would have thought a little bit better about that, but it's just kind of ridiculous that NCAA, and it, and, and, and you, you said it's all about control. Like, you, particularly when it comes to football and basketball players, you know that a lot of the, the players come from impoverished, you know, communities or not the best backgrounds and home structures or whatnot. So to still have a rule in place to say that, you know, student athletes can't make money off their own personal belongings is just archaic and stupid to me. No, you're 100% right, Corey. These are big issues. I appreciate you taking the time. Hopefully it wasn't uncomfortable for you. Um, what we always try to do is create a community around making uncomfortable conversations comfortable because these all have layers. And we all, uh, one of the things you did so well is, is educate us a little bit about how this really works. And so when we hear things, we can push back and we can say, no, that's not really how that works. That doesn't make any sense. Um, so unpacking some of these things so that our goal is just to create a community where the uncomfortable can be comfortable, where we can create a movement around forcing ourselves to have uncomfortable conversations, uncomfortable thought, because that's how you heal. That's how you grow. That's how you get better. Corey, thank you so much for joining us today. For everybody who's listening, we thank you so much. Please subscribe below, share with all your friends. Corey, thank you so much for joining us on, on Get Uncomfortable. You're the first person who's joined us who could sell his autograph. So <laughs> thank you, bro. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Get Uncomfortable, the podcast with Adam A. Smith. This podcast is produced in partnership between Adam A. Smith and Rachel Hansen. Links to everything mentioned in the episode today, as well as Rachel and Adam's contact information will be included in the show notes.